Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj Jana, and if you can't tell just by the sound in my voice, I'm extremely excited to introduce uh, today's guest, who is a relatively new friend of mine. Uh, we met uh, a couple months ago at an amazing competition that he hosted, and, and I was there, and I got to, to meet Damon John actually through this wonderful gentleman, um, and he has uh, got a wealth of information and, and a resume that speaks for itself. Uh, but before I dive into that, I just wanted to introduce him, Mr. Brian Miles. How are you, sir? I'm great, Raj. How are you doing? Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Um, so I'm going to give a quick uh, bio on Brian, and then I'll let him sort of explain what he does, who he is, and, and everything he's accomplished to date. But to give you a, a little bit of background on Brian, Brian is a CEO and a co-founder of a company called Belay. Um, he co-founded it with his wife, Shannon. Uh, Belay is a US-based virtual solutions company where they provide virtual assistance, bookkeeping, copywriting, webmaster services uh, for leaders and different types of organizations so that... Uh, we can stop working in the trenches and start working on our businesses. And um, Brian has achieved a lot to date. Uh, and one of the most impressive things that I know and I've realized about Brian and his company is that he is a fully virtual company with over 600 team members, all working from home. Um, and he is now a brand new author of a wonderful book, which we will highlight uh, towards the end of the, of the episode and with, that goes over a lot of the stuff we'll be covering in this podcast. And um, so, Brian, uh, like I said, man, please introduce yourself and, and, and then uh, we'll lead the conversation from there. Right on. Well, thank you, Raj, for, again, for, for the opportunity. I'm, I'm amazed sitting here seven years into our business that um, I get the opportunity to do things like this um, and I'm paid actually to share people, share with people about our company. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a blessed man all the way around what we've been able to accomplish. Um, I know is not normal. Uh, we've, we've grown from, you know, we, we jumped out of small business really quick and, and kind of jumped into becoming a medium sized organization. Um, a lot of it in part because we weren't saddled by an office. We didn't have an actual physical office and we were more agile and more flexible because of it. And that's part of our story over the course of seven years as we built our virtual services business. So um, I think it's a joy to sit here and be able to talk to a great guy like you who's killing it in business and doing awesome and, um, and get to share, you know, about our story and our folks and how hard we've worked to serve other people. Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I wanted to, to dive in before we, we started talking about health, wealth, happiness, and all in between. Um, why is having a virtual, just from your experience, why is having a virtual culture important to you and what kind of 
Um, what kind of growth do you think having a virtual culture over a, um, a conventional office, uh, what kind of growth do you think that has on the employees and, and yourself on your own life, just from a happiness standpoint? Well, I can, I can speak to 60 some odd employees here in Metro Atlanta that all work from home. And then all the other uh, great people that represent our business as virtual assistants, as bookkeepers, writers, and webmasters that the lion's share of them seem to be happier when they have workplace flexibility. So when we use the word virtual culture, it's really a, a remote web-based um, workplace environment where people can work from home, leverage technology. And what I find is when people work from home and they have some autonomy in their day-to-day, they're genuinely more happy um, they, th- because they can contribute to more than just someone else's work. They can contribute to their family, to the, the, the needs of their family and kind of teeter-totter that through the course of a day. And when, when a person feels like they're contributing not at work, but also at home, we found that they're, they seemingly are more happy. And happy employees equal more engaged employees. They're connected to the mission of your organization. Um, and for me personally, as an employer, um, I don't want my employees just to come here because they, have, they, they get a paycheck or benefits. I want them here because they want to be here and they're happy and they're connected to the mission of our business. And um, I think that um, if you look at the other larger organizations that are out there, kind of even bigger than us that are all virtual, they've got an incredible group of employees that are very, very happy. And I think big business is catching on. You know, there's um, in my book, I do talk about, there's a very large corporation that basically told 75% of its workforce that within four years, everybody will be working from home and they're not small. They've like 5,600 employees at the time. And this is, this is happening. So I, I would tell anybody that's listening, that's an owner um, of an organization that's of size or even really startups that, the wave of what's next for workplace is going remote. It's going virtual and um, more and more employees are going to demand it. I think uh, you kind of hit it on the head, you know, having happier employees allows them to deliver happier results um, in your business for your customers. I mean, we we're a completely virtual organization. Well done. And I've I've seen that myself. Um, I mean, I I worked in corporate America for a while and, and, and I knew that I didn't want that. And so I I knew what I didn't want and I'm here now, but I completely agree with you and it does create a amazing opportunity, um, for, for today's workspace. Um, why is for yourself though? So walk me through your, your daily routine. You obviously work from home. Um, how does your, how does your day begin? What is your, what does your morning look like? Well, um, I'm likely up between six and seven every day. Um, I start off, um, reflecting on kind of where I need to go that day or anything that I need to kind of course correct from the day before. Um, I will generally, um, either read a book of some sort or I'll journal for a season of time. I do journal. Um, and then I have an app that I kind of use that holds me accountable called the strides app. And it just is kind of like, hey, you know, I did this yesterday. It's just on par with what I'm trying to accomplish as a man, as a leader, as a husband, as a dad. Um, and then uh, my kids are generally up by seven. So I'm helping with my wife, Shannon. We're helping get kind of get them out the door between seven and eight o'clock. And then I don't rush right into work. Um, I, I, at least I do my very best. I try and hold that off for about an hour and I try and just engage with, with my wife that I co-founded the business with. We still have a lot to do day to day in the business and we'll just kind of talk. Um, 
you know, unless there's something pressing, we got to run to a meeting or something like that. But uh, then my day working from home, I generally jump in the email. I try and batch my email. Um, that's a relatively new practice for me. Uh, batching email has been a wonderful thing. So I just really kind of work through my email and I am fortunate to have a great assistant that can help me do that. So she serves as air traffic control over my inbox for all day long. I like that air traffic so control. I, yeah. So I'm able to batch my email. Um, now there are times when there's just something that's urgent and I got to knock it out in the middle of the day. That's, you know, that's okay. I, I'm not so rigid with it. Um, I'll review my calendar for the day and then I'll typically will be um, doing what I should be doing as a CEO of this company, which is opening doors for our company and uh, networking and connecting with folks. And I, I have a bit of a, uh, right now I'm in the midst of uh, a couple things in terms of research. So I'm, I'm digging deep into some areas. So I carve out time for that. I am a huge believer of naps. So generally after lunch, I'll take a, about a 30 minute nap or less. I just need my mind to reboot. Um, and when I was younger, I used to be embarrassed by that, but now, um, I just need it. It helps me sustain the rest of my day. I've got mental clarity from that. Um, I know the, like the rhythm of my body and I wake up just ready to go. And I know some people can't take naps. It wrecks them for the rest of the day. For me, it's just, uh, it's, it's a way for me to kind of reset the day. And, and I, my mind always seems to go. So this gives me a, a chance just to kind of press pause in my mind. Um, and then I'll wrap up with a few calls or whatever for the rest of the day before the kids get home and, um, and then, you know, have a great evening with the family. That's a, that's a typical work day for me. That sounds, uh, that sounds so, it sounds structured. Is it, it something is. that you follow religiously or is it something that kind of goes up and down as, as tasks happen or are there any parts of the day that are like non-negotiables that, that are happening no matter what? Mm -hmm. I do, I do carve out about an hour block in the afternoon that encompasses my nap. And then that's just, you can't schedule anything in that time. And I protect that like the Dickens and my assistant, you know, I've worked with her now for five years. She totally knows that's like that's sacred time. You don't mess with that. <laughs> um, and then here's the other thing too. Like this is a really practical thing, but I figured this out even before we started our company is that I'm, I'm one person, I am one leader. So I have one calendar and it's all got to fit. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a CEO of a business. I'm on several boards. I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm, I'm many things to many people and it's all got to fit on one calendar. So I have a highly color coded calendar that my assistant page just sees. So like if things are in green, that's personal reds, travel, uh, podcast interviews or phone calls. That's yellow. Um, you know, we, we just, that way I have got a snapshot on my day and making sure that I'm, you know, being the person I need to be, but also, um, that, that, um, that organization sounds hard, but it's not, it actually gives me incredible freedom. I love that. So I actually might steal that from you. you Please. So, so you, you color code your, your calendar based on activities you're doing, and that allows you to quickly assess whether you're doing the things you need to do to be the person you want to be. That's right. And it's more than my identity is not wrapped up in me just being the CEO of this company. I'm, I'm the CEO of this company for a season of time. And I see that as a stewardship issue. I, I'm stewarding this business for as long as I can as the co-founder and CEO with it. Um, but I won't be one day and that's okay. So right now I've got to steward that well. And the same time that I've had influence with my kids right now at a very pivotal age. And I always want to have a meaningful relationship with my wife and I need to do things personally like work out 
you know, so there's all these investments I've got to make in others and in me to be the person who I am. So I just make sure that I'm very intentional with my calendar. And once you kind of get going in it and you get a rhythm going first month, two months in, it becomes old hat because it's very easy to kind of manage your schedule. And especially if you have an assistant, she's probably, or he's probably begging you to get more organized with your schedule anyway. Yeah, absolutely. How did, so I know a lot of our listeners and sometimes including myself, um, we, we make sacrifices in, in certain parts of our days, whether it be like personal time or a workout or, you know, something when we're pushed against the wall. Um, how do you, what are your thoughts on, on like, how do you combat that? How do you make time for yourself and, and make yourself a priority when you seemingly have so many responsibilities on your plate? Well, the truth is I do have a lot of responsibility on my plate, but I, I also don't see those things for me as a person as a luxury. I see them as a necessity. I see them as something that must be done in the same way I've got to grow my business and top line revenue and produce net profit. You know, there it's um, my health, my mental health um, are all parts of who I am and the sum of who I am as an individual and my contribution to this world. So I've got to, I've got to look after those things as well. I love that. So you're essentially keeping the well full so that you can continue giving. You have to, otherwise you're going to, I mean, I'm, I have friends that are, you know, really wonderful leaders that will hit burnout and man, burnout when handled wrong is nasty and it, it, it changes lives and it hurts people. And so, you know, I really hate it when I see a leader that's kind of, you know, tanked out in terms of, you know, something like that happening when they could have avoided it just by getting a little bit more organized and being a little bit more disciplined about their calendar. Is this something that came naturally to you or did you have some mistakes along the way that allowed you to realize what's really important to you? Well, I had the gift of being a salesperson. And when you're um, in sales, and I, I was in sales for a long time before we started our company. Um, in sales, you have to be organized because you're jumping on an airplane, you're, you're setting a, you're going to be in someone's boardroom. You know, it's all very structured, you know, down to getting the rental car and racing to the meeting and getting back home so you can see your family. And I just, I just decided early on as a young man that I've got to own my calendar. And, and I tell this to my team all the time. You either own your calendar or your calendar owns you. And I'm just not going to let my calendar own me. I'm going to own it. And um, I, just, I decided that a long time ago that I was going to master this thing. And, and man, I'm telling you, I get so much done because I'm just organized with my calendar. I am a highly productive individual because I'm just organized with my schedule. And I'm not perfect. Like... We have things, you know, that get derailed in your calendar and you got to, you know, shift and adjust and stuff like that. But for the, for the most part, you'll see a very productive person in me just because I've worked at it really long with my assistant myself to, to be very um, organized with the calendar. And, it, and don't miss this. That makes me happy. Organization makes me happy. I think the world either goes towards order or chaos. And happiness for me is having things in order. Um, and I, and I just, you know, that for me brings happiness to me when I know where things are and I know how to, you know, to go find something or I know what my schedule looks like that produces happiness in me. Yeah. Structure sets you free. I think so. No, that's amazing. I love that. I love that so much. Um, it sounds like, so every day you spend time, uh, with your, with, with your wife, with your kids mm -hmm. and, and you make time for yourself. Uh, you seem like somebody who who's like oozing with either gratitude or appreciation. <laughs> um, so uh, would you mind kind of expanding on, you know, how does gratitude play a part in your day to day? How does that play a part in your, 
and your business and your vision? Yeah. I mean, how does it sort of come together with gratitude? It's one of my favorite topics. I mentor young guys and um, we, we spend time camping out on this subject of, of gratitude. Um, back in 2007, I had a mentor. I was part of a mentoring group where this guy is an amazing guy. His name is Reggie Campbell. Reggie beat us into submission with understanding what gratitude meant as a young man, as a young leader. And he said something that's always stayed with me. He said that basically gratitude is the only lasting motivator of change. And mm. I think it's, I think it's dead on, you know, gratitude is something when you're postured this way with, with a heart of gratitude, you, you can sustain much of anything. And it, it gives you that motivating force within to, to, to do the things you need to do because you're grateful. You're grateful for what, Maybe God's done for you. You're grateful for maybe how your spouse has treated you. You're grateful for the health of your children. You're grateful for the success of your business. You're, you're grateful maybe that you're born in this country. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many things trivial that you could be grateful for. And, and those things, when, the, when, you, when you realize that, they become an excellent motivator. And so I've carried that forward. And so much so that as we started our company and Shannon and I, my wife, talked about building an organization that we wanted to be part of, we wanted to make sure that one of our core values is gratitude. And so you wow. look see on our website, you can go see our core values. And one of those is being grateful, having gratitude. And we express that in many ways in our business. I love that. that that's, that's so awesome, man. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, I've always felt like gratitude is that kind of like that secret power that you can call to whenever things aren't going well or when things are going well. Yeah. And it's like this thing that just makes you feel good. Yeah. No matter what's going on in your life. And I love that you've made it such an integral part of every aspect in your life. Um, so besides the nap and gratitude, um, what are a couple of other daily non-negotiables for you? Well, I do like a good glass of wine. So uh, I don't know that it's daily. Um, yeah, it might be. I just, you know, I, I enjoy relaxing and I, I enjoy wine. I'm kind of a uh, I think one day if, if this, if this business goes well and it seems to be uh, Lord willing trending in that direction, I'd love to have a winery there you uh, go. kind of uh, but uh, I'd say in terms of negotiables, I, I, I do pray daily. I'm thankful um, for a creator that um, gave me this opportunity and, and I beg him for wisdom and, and not just this. I, I don't beg just for wisdom. I also beg for the courage to act when I get that wisdom. And so I do each day. I'm, it's kind of a non-negotiable. You'll find me not just at one time, but kind of throughout the course of the day, I will have found myself in prayer at one point or another or, or in meditation, however you want to, however you want to look at that, but in a reflective state that acknowledges that I'm no one. I'm just a guy that was created to do something of meaning. How often do you reflect on just what you're doing? Do you reflect daily, weekly? Daily. And that, that happens in my journal. Um, a lot of times I've had, um, I've, I've had, you know, friends that they'll journal and there'll be like a stream of consciousness. And for me, I just can't journal like that. I'm not, I'm not that kind of journaler. Um, rather what I do is at the top of each, you know, new page, I'll ask myself a question and then I'll just try and answer yeah. that question. You know, like, um, maybe I had an argument with an employee or, something like that. And maybe I'll be thinking about that argument. And so I'll ask myself, what's going on within me that I'm arguing with this person in my head. And I'll wrestle that out on a sheet of paper 
or I might ask, you know, hey, what today? What, what am I grateful for today? You know, in this next season ahead, are the goals that I've set out scary enough? You know, so I'm always asking myself questions and I do that on a daily basis. That's my oh, reflective time. I like that a lot. And so you make it a consistent part of your day and it's fueled by whatever you're feeling, um, which takes away kind of like the, you know, I've always felt like journaling for me, I've, I've, I do it and then I, I'll step back when I force myself to do it. But if it's something that comes from like whatever I'm feeling and not really forced, yeah. um, I just feel like I would stick with it more. So it, it, is, that's, is that kind of like resonating with you? Like, is it just for something sure. that you do because it makes you feel good every day? And I, I do it for me. I'm introverted. So I do it for me because I'm, I, I just, I get energy that way. I get energy when I'm away from people. And so this, this brings me energy. Mm. Um, but I also do it because I have, I can be very scattered in my thoughts. And so it kind of brings me to a focal point with my mind to think about something that's important. And it's, um, it's, it's just become a very rewarding part of my life. I've now got um, you know, three journals that sit in a safe in my house that one day my kids are going to read and they're going to see how I wrestled with certain things. And I was a human being and I screwed up and I made mistakes and they're going to read that one day and go, man, my dad was a human, you know, like he's look, look, check that out. He's struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with, you know, and I, I see it as a gift, you know, and I'm very brutally honest in it. I don't hold anything back, you know? Um, and I, and I just, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's a great, it's a great outlet for me as a person. And you know, here's the thing, like when you hear this, I bet you're, you know, some of you are probably rolling your eyes you're probably like, man, how much time does this dude have on his hands? Right. This takes no more than five, 10 minutes a day. Yeah. And for me, man, to pray and to think about those types of things, that's just kind of, I mean, I was just, I literally just got out of an exercise. Uh, I went on a run before this podcast interview and on the run I was praying. You know, so like, I just find it, I find it in the middle of my day. I find those moments and, and you can incorporate those things into your life as well. Um, and I certainly encourage you to. You're very intentional with your time. Um, how did you, how did you cultivate that practice of being intentional with time? I'm sure it happened over, is there a practice you do to just bring yourself back to realizing that, you know, like this is stuff I need to make, this is time I need to do. Like I find myself getting lost in a lot of the weeds. Yeah. And I mean, I just, like, I try to bring myself back to center of intention and, and being there, but I do slip. So do you have any tips for maybe some of our listeners who might be in the same place? I think the reason why I'm so intentional with my time and the reason why for a long time I have been intentional is because I lost my dad. He died of cancer when, I'm, when he was 56. And I just got to this place where I'm like, man, we just don't have the time that we think. Mm, yeah. And if I'm going to make a dent in this world, I have only a certain amount of time. I have the same amount of time as you. I have the same amount of time as anybody listening to this. I have the same amount of time as President Trump or Hillary Clinton or President Obama or Richard Branson. Like I've, I've got the same amount of time. And so rather than watch that time be wasted away or being lost in the weeds or scattered, I'd rather just be intentional about it. And, yeah. I, and I also believe that I'm here for a greater purpose. And so when I, when I kind of walk through my day like that, time becomes a bit more intentional. Now, don't get me wrong. I still like to goof off on the weekends and have fun at night. And, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to the show Survivor. I have been forever, <laughs> you know, like I have, my, I have my things too, but in my day, I'm really intentional. I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I, 
a great man that I love very much died too early. And, um, and I think that that's always kind of had a huge impression on me. When did, when did your father pass? In 1999. Okay. I was 24. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a horrific way to pass away. He had lung cancer and, um, I don't wish that on any family. It's, um, it's a terrible thing. And he, and he, and, um, he was a manager for Michael's, which is an arts and craft store. Mm-hmm. And, um, I saw him just work crazy hours, you know, and retail has a tendency to do that. You know, you kind of work people to death in retail and I, and I saw him work really hard. Um, and he, he was, he it really kind of provided for our family, which I'm extremely grateful but I just, I saw, and, and I had conversations with him numerous times and when he got sick and his regret for how he would do things different. And, but he, one thing he didn't regret was having a meaningful relationship with his son and his daughter and his wife. And uh, he was certainly intentional with that, though he had to provide and work kind of some crazy hours in retail. But I, I just, that's always had an impression on me that I've got to be, I've got to manage my time well. How do you think, and you said you were 24 when that happened, correct? Yeah. Um, when did you start Belay? Uh, in 2010. 2010. I was did 35 you, at the time. Did your, did your experience with, with, did that experience help you create the culture you have today? Or how did it help you sort of craft like the life you've created to date? Um, did the changes happen immediately? Or were they stuff that kind of like, kind of like just sat in the back of your mind as you continued doing what you were doing? I think um, it was probably in my mid thirties where I kind of woke up to my responsibility as a human and as a leader. Um, not that I was irresponsible in my early thirties or late twenties. In fact, I was married when I was 22 to Shannon and we, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and you met Shannon. So, you know, I, I outpunted my coverage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, but like, I, uh, um, I'm very fortunate to be married to her, but the, I think, you know, with my dad dying when I was a young man, um, I've been in, I've been intentional to find mentors. Um, and you know, here's the here's the here's a little bit of advice. You know, mentors. Most mentors aren't looking for you. You got to go looking for them, and you've got to get in their damage path, and you've got to create a plan for how you would like to see them coach you. If you've got this big head, like you think that someone's just going to approach you and want to pour your, themselves onto you, you're nuts. You kind of got to get in their, in their damage path and ask them questions. And I, I was just intentional to do that. And along the way, in the, in the absence of having a, a really great dad, I found some fantastic mentors that are my friends today and, have, and some have become advisors to my business. And um, they've given me that wisdom uh, that has been, that's been there. And, and the wisdom that they've given me has really a lot of it's been through their pain and through their mistakes. And so I've just tried to observe those things and carry those things into my life, my personal life into our business um, and just be a good student of other people's mistakes. And then, you know, when I mentor guys and I do, I, every other year I mentor four guys um, in their mid twenties um, and it's a year long commitment. They sign a covenant with me. Like it's a big deal. Like it's like getting a baby MBA with me. But when I do that though, I share with them everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, in the hopes that they'll take that and become a better person and leader as a result of it. And so now I've graduated two groups of guys and, and it's awesome. It's a wonderful thing to have mentored guys in, in a very intentional way. What a wonderful way of giving back, Brian. I love that. Um, I love that. 
I just, I'm very inspired by you as a, as a human being no, thank you. Um, beyond, beyond what you've achieved with the company and now with the new book, which I do want to, uh, which I want to start talking about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I just, I think that what you've created with your company is a hundred percent of reflection of who you are as an individual and your wife. Oh, thank you. Thank and, you. I appreciate uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be having this conversation with you. So, Likewise. um, your, uh, your new book, virtual culture book. Um, tell me more about it. Tell me what it covers. Tell me what the premise of the book is and, and, and just pitch me on it, man. I'd love to, I've already bought it. So I'm, 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 I'm knee deep in the trenches, but would love to give our audience uh, a bit of some insight on, on, on everything the book entails. Yeah. So virtual culture, um, is, it's a couple things. It's one, it's our playbook for how we started our company. Uh, and basically started without an office and never intended to ever have an office and realizing that you could actually create a legitimate company of size uh, and of result without having an office. And so it's our journey. It's, it's our playbook. It's not the playbook, but it's our playbook for how we create an organization of meaning where people actually like to work here. Um, I jokingly say I've, I've ruined all the people that have worked here because <laughs> now that they're here, they're ruined. They can't find another place like it. And then I've done my job. Um, but there's a lot of like, you know, just blocking and tackling things in the book that I share um, in terms of like how we deal with conflict, some things that we think are important when you're building a virtual company. Um, I also go through examples of organizations that have done this. And, you know, so it's not just us and show the bravery of how others have done this and why they've done that. Um, I touch on some myths connected to, you know, the virtual realm. And, um, and then I also, um, I point to resources that are on a, on, on a website that we've created specific for the book where people, there's calculators and some tools and free resources that they can go get um, if they're evaluating their organization becoming more of a virtual company or all remote. Um, but it's, it's our story coupled with tools and resources um, and other stories that kind of equal that. And then, the, the, then I end with kind of like where I think the workplace is heading in the next 20 years. Um, next 20, 30 years, I, th I think that, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that are affected when you say that more and more people are going to go work from home for various reasons. And then I failed to mention earlier, like in the beginning of the book, I kind of talk about why we got here, or how we got here in terms of what workplaces look like today. Why do we go into an office? Why are people in a cubicle? Um, I touch on that. And a lot of that's just simply because we're a holdout from the industrial age. And, um, when you, when you, um, when you've got grandma who can FaceTime with her grandkids and that can build a meaningful connection with them from four states apart, then you can't really have any excuse for why that can't work in a virtual work standpoint. And that's my book. And so I, I, I put that the way we work doesn't work anymore. And it's my manifesto. It's kind of like my line in the sand that says, I think that employers and business owners need to wake up to this reality because once a person has um, started working off their back deck, they're ruined for life. They're not going to come back into an office. They're just not. I think that's one of the biggest fears of potential employers. Um, and I, I did want to ask you, I mean, you, you're disrupting a, a pretty old uh, mindset of, yeah. of having to go into work, right? Um, how do you like, well, what are some things you do to cultivate a mindset that allows you to continue like achieving this goal or moving towards it when it seems so vast 
and, and seems pretty crazy yeah. for a lot of people. Um, you know, I mean, I, until I met you, I didn't think I could have 600 people working <laughs> virtually. I thought that I yeah. would have to call it in one day and pick a physical location. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're changing that for me. So, you know, what are some of your influences and, 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 and practices that allow you to continue dreaming? I think that there's this notion or this dogma that's out there that says if um, I can't control you, if I can't see you. And I just don't think that that's the currency for how people want to operate in the future. I think that people want to operate from a basis of trust. And so when we started our business, I decided that we were going to trust our people. Our default was to trust. And that became the currency. And so you can go a lot further with trust versus control. And we trust people to work from home and do their job. We're really clear about what their job is. We talk about what it looks like when they're winning in their job. But then as an adult, we trust them. And then you wrap around compensation and benefits and connectivity and um, their ability to have workplace flexibility and autonomy. And then they, they do something of meaning like I said, you're, you're, you're going to develop a workforce that wants to be there. And, um, that's what we've tried to do at Belay, but it's, it's the, it's the yin and yang of control versus trust. And, um, I just have zero desire to control people. I'd rather people want to do something because they feel trusted to do that versus I'm dictating or I'm controlling them to do that. Were you always that way? Like even in the beginning when you started your company? Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I, um, and before that, um, in sales, you got to trust that salespeople are going to go get that quota. You know, that they're going to do the job that's expected of them and you can support them and help them. But at the end of the day, you got to trust them to produce. You got to verify the results, make sure they're doing the things day in and day out to get the, the result you're looking for. Um, and so I've just kind of was raised that way that you've got to, and, and my sales teams produced the, the sales teams I led, they produced because I trusted them. And I know plenty of other like sales managers or VPs of sales out there. And when they go forward and they say, look, I trust you. I trust you to go get quota or even exceed it. That that puts the right motivating things in a person to go get it done. And, and it's, it's true whether they're building a car for you or, um, you know, shipping coffee or making sales calls when they feel trusted, look out. It's an amazing person that you want on your team versus that when they feel controlled or they're just there for a paycheck. I love that. I, <laughs> I, I can't, you've dropped so many little nuggets in this, in this, <laughs> in this one 45 minute interview that I, I this is amazing. Um, wow. Yeah. I, like I said, Brian, I, I'm beyond just inspired and, and very grateful that, that you are here and, and you are who you are. Well, thank you. Um, you set a, a very inspiring example for, for myself and I know our listeners to um, make time for the things that are important to us. And some of the, some of the things you shared, especially with the calendar. I mean, I'm, I'm like messaging my assistant right now, like, please let's, let's, let's start this now. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I wanted to kind of bring everything together full circle um, with, with a question um, in, in the midst of all your successes, achievements and, and where you are today, how do you stay grounded? How do you, how do you stay grounded on a daily basis? Um, and grounded can mean different things. Yeah, uh, to, yeah. to you, what does staying grounded mean? And how do you cultivate that on a, on, on a, on a daily basis? I think I stay grounded 
when I think about the word stewardship. Um, churches love this word, but, but stewardship is really simple. Steward is just being a manager or something for a season of time. It's not just a manager. It's, it's coupled with a season of time. And I am a steward of my kids right now. You know, I'm a steward of this business right now. I'm a steward of certain relationships or boards I sit on. Um, at times when I mentor guys, I'm a steward and I see it at, for a season of time. Um, John Maxwell, who's a really prolific um, leadership author, speaker guy, he, he says that like you want to see the impact the leader has on an organization. Pretend the leader has his hand in a bucket and his hand represents his leadership. Well, the minute he pulls his hand out of that bucket of water, what happens? All the water kind of fills in where the hand was. And, and I think the more real you can be about who you are and your place in time and also that, that you recognize your responsibility is seasonal, not forever, that you just approach life a lot different. You, you become more intentional. You, you realize that each conversation actually does matter. Uh, you are more present. You're not flipping through social media trying to do 52 things. You're just, you realize that you're there for a finite time. And that, um, that drives me, that, that grounds me. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm far from perfect too. I mean, you'll, you'll find that I have my fair share of screw ups. Um, I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect person, I'm not a perfect husband or a father either. Um, but stewardship is something that really is ingrained deeply in me. And it's, it, it only works again when it's coupled with a season of time. You're here doing the things you are for a season of time. And so you should be the best steward. And another word for steward is manager of the things that have been given to you. Oh God, that's so good. That, that season of time thing is, is powerful. Um, it adds a sense of urgency. That's right. Uh, to where you can't, you, you can't just slack off now and then pick up being a manager later because your time as that manager will pass. That's right. And I think that that's a really powerful way to look at it and a powerful motivator. You're right. Brian, this is, um, God, what a, what a way to wrap it up. Um, to anybody who wants to learn more about you, um, belaysolutions.com. Is that's right. That, so like I said, guys, I personally have an assistant from Belay and um, Sarah is, is a rock star on our team. So if anybody else um, is looking for, an assistant or a helping hand to come in and free up some time uh, back into your life so that you can, you can start to create and live a life that you're proud of. Um, definitely check out, check them out. And uh, Brian's book is also out at virtualculturebook.com. Uh, they're on Amazon and, uh, and yeah, like I said, I just picked it up and I can't wait to, to go through it. Um, Brian, uh, again, man, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you, Raj. Um, if, uh, if, if anybody in our audience wanted to reach out to you, mm-hmm. do you have any, any places where they can go to get in touch or anything along yeah, those lines? Absolutely. Um, a good place to start would be virtualculturebook.com. Uh, That's a great place. And then on there are like all my social media links. And I'm all over Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I, I interact with everybody on social media all the time. And I've got a great team that helps me do that. But I am on there a ton. Um, just making sure that I'm interacting with folks um, when I'm not doing something that I should be very intentional about. So, uh, perfect. Then, so you're fun. So you're fun when you interact. I try to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and you know, the, the book is a really great insight 
into me as a leader, I think, but also organization. And, um, you know, I love engaging with people on social media and, 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 um, and the response has been really, um, frankly overwhelming. I did not anticipate that this would actually resonate like it has. So, um, I thank you for um, sharing this, this book with your audience. It means a lot. No, absolutely. Like I said, uh, the pleasure's all mine. I feel like I'm going to have to be going over these show notes, uh, pretty consistently <laughs> for the next, uh, next month or so. So again, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, to everyone listening, uh, this wraps up, uh, another episode of the stay grounded podcast. Again, I'm your host, Raj Jana, and until next time, stay grounded. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast brought to you by Java Press Coffee Company. My name is Raj, and I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.